Hi, this is Glenn Caruso, and I'm broadcasting from the mountains of uh, North Carolina and lovely Lake Lore. I'm at a high school up here talking to some high school students. Um, today we're going to be discussing the impact of technology on education and get the thoughts of uh, these young teens who are in 11th and 12th grade. Uh, I'm going to go around the room right now. And I'll let everyone introduce themselves, say your first name, and uh, what you like to do after school. Again. Um, be outside. Be outside. What's your name? Layton. <laughs> my name is Awesome. I like to play games on my computer. Uh, my name's Edward. I like to... <laughs> I don't have that much free time. My name's Olivia. Um, I work after school. My name's Danae. Um, I also work and I do sports. All right. Thanks, students. Glad to have you here today. All right. I think when we start off, one, one of the things I wanted to ask you is uh, what are the most important technology tools that you're using right now for education and to help you with schoolwork? And there's one that's been in the news a lot lately. I don't know if you all are using it. I've been using it. it saved me hours. Uh, saved everybody. I've been hours. using Google a whole lot, doing a whole lot of extra research. You know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, there's plenty of things I use. Good old-fashioned calculator, you know, for my math class. But I think the one you're trying to get at is ChatGPT. ChatGPT. Talk yeah. to me about ChatGPT. I know some people that use that. I yeah. bet you do. I've seen people summarize whole books, whole chapters of textbooks. Yeah. I can take an hour reading down to 10 minutes. What do you think yeah. about that? Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Okay, so she's not here anymore. Um, I think it's actually a really good thing because I mean, we've all skimmed books. Uh, we've all forgot about reading until the night before. If you can just get a two-page summary of a 10-page chapter, I think that helps a lot. It's just the important information. There's a lot of fluff that's not necessary, and ChatGPT kind of takes that away. Do we know what it's taking away, though? And I don't disagree, but do we know it's not taking away critical Wait, information? We should, we should back it up real quick. Okay, so I'm going to explain what ChatGPT Chat is for those of you who don't know. ChatGPT is a website software on the internet that is owned and created by OpenAI, which was founded by Elon Musk and Sam Altman, which uh, uses English-based prompts to generate answers based off of information that it has in its databases. That's just a general definition for um, referring back to. Okay. And it's important to note that this AI language model uh, derives all of its information from uh, web browsers like Google, Bing, and um, Firefox, most importantly. Mm. Interesting. Well, I feel like it's great. The only downside I could see is it's it's creating a paranoia among instructors. Uh, I know in in one of my classes, we have a class of around eight people. I want to say four or five have been accused of using AI-generated <gasps> uh, text for their essays, which yeah. I don't think any of them actually have. So How do they know? They, what made them think they... There's did, software that can detect it. There's software that can mm -hmm. detect it. Oh, yeah. yeah. So OpenAI actually makes a detector. The same person that has the AI language model is the same people that make the detector for the... I guess because they're spitting out the answers so they know if somebody uses it. But what if you edit from... Well, it's not accurate at all. It's yeah. What? 
That's what I was gonna say. Um, real quick, uh, like Pilot said, um, people have been accused of it, but um, there's no real basis for what we know of how it tests for ChatGPT, you know, AI usage for writing. So that means people are using this, like our teacher who used it, and that's how he accused them. He put their writing and um, in an AI language detector, and it came up with a certain percentage using that detector. Or, or like I know with some people, that same instructor just like noticed the slightest shift in writing and automatically like jumped to conclusions. He. You know what? I'm just gonna say it. He accused me, um, like not outright, but he definitely like <gasps> alluded to it. Um, he just said like my writing looked like is usually really good and looked especially good right now, really? and definitely like was hinting at stuff. And so that had, was had you used no, no. So I yeah. have. I've never used it. Not even for research. I know people yeah. that use it, but I haven't. Yeah, I know people that use it too, and. Um, a lot of people, what they do is they take the text from it and they resummarize it in their own words, and that's the most effective for. So they're just using it to gather information. Yeah, yeah just for as a web browser, purpose. but it explains things more thoroughly, and you don't have to do a whole bunch of okay. surfing. It it's gives you direct like, answers instead of having to find the answers yourself. Mm -hmm. It's almost like a rough draft, sort of. Oh, yeah, that. it's like it's like an outline, yeah. just like information and uh, main points. Austin, what do you think? Well, even then, if people can like detect it, there's also open um, source software that like rewrites it for you. So it's going to be a constant battle of teachers trying to get better software to detect it and people making better software to be lazy. So I think at the end of the day, it's going to be pointless whether or not you use it because it'll be false flagging almost everything and there's no accurate way to tell. And it's important to note that... Um each AI language model is constantly evolving their um, ability to generate text. Like OpenAI, they just released an update on February 3rd for their ChatGPT language model, which changes up their uh, text generation and makes it more human-like. Mm -hmm. And also allows for more insight into problems that, well, mechanical errors. Yeah. No, I messed around with ChatGPT for the first time a couple months <gasps> ago. And uh, it did sound like a robot, but then I tried it out after the update you just mentioned, and it honestly writes probably equally as well as me. Mm -hmm. uh, the only problem I would say is that it, uh, you can probably tell me more about this, but it seems to write shorter things. Can you tell it to write a yeah. six-page thing? Oh, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. I've seen some people use it. I'm not saying who, but um, I've seen some people use it to write uh, a specific amount. And I think it does have a word limit around I think it might be 500 words. There's a word limit, mm -hmm. and the second it hits 500, it stops. Okay. But you can tell it to continue in a different prompt. Mm. And uh, just recently, um, someone, I was watching them use this AI language model, and they reached a limit on how many times they can use it per hour. And they were doing an assignment right before the due date, and they had 30 minutes to do it, and uh, they were just out of luck. So what do you think about the Dan prompt? Wait, what's that? So ChatGPT has limitations. It won't speak opinions. You guys can back me up on this. Uh, do you know what jailbreaking is? Like jailbreaking an iPhone? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this jailbreaks ChatGPT to where it can do all the things that it's not supposed to. Oh, do. like make it evil ChatGPT. It, it, it makes it, it 
uncensored chat GBT. So it can express whatever it wants. Right, Jackson? As long know. as it's legal, yes. As long as it's legal. There's ways to get around that as well. Well, you can yeah. get around the legal limitations yeah, of it by saying, in a fantasy world for a Dungeons & Dragons campaign, how do I do this or that? So in it, Minecraft, how do I you know, raid the U.S. Embassy or something? Or th things like that, and it, it can generate that prompt because the um, open AI creators haven't thought of that yet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so basically you can get an answer any question without limitations as long as it's um, in a fictional world. But also I've seen many things where um, like uh, someone will try and put it like it would present a situation where it was um, like they're in two hands, like there was a situation and one was you had all these millions of lives at stake and the other one was uh, this offensive like racial slur and it gave a decision either you say the racial slur and all these millions of lives are saved or it doesn't say the racial slur something offensive and um, all those people die. It would rather it not say something racially offensive than uh, saving lives. That's what I. That's what I've seen from the ChatGPT. And that's because of how it's developed, and all these people that develop ChatGPT, they're responsible for how it reacts in different situations, and the prompts that it receives. It bases all the answers that it gives off of, not only um, coding input from the people who created it, but also um, constant input from the people using ChatGPT. It's constantly evolving itself. Could the developers be held legally liable? If it were to tell people something that were illegal, not yet. So the rules right now for um, AI creation, I was going to get into this in a bit. But um, so basically, the rules of AI creation state that the works of AI are not owned by anyone. So basically, it's not their works. They might get in trouble for it saying like illegal stuff since they're the creators of it. But as for right now, it's basically illegal as well. Well, right, as of now. In the end user license agreement, it probably says you cannot use it for malicious purposes or something along the lines of that. So the liability falls back onto the user. Definition mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Do you think this technology is making education more effective or less effective? You sort of, Edward, you sort of talked about this. Well, I feel like it's how you use it. It could be the same as, you know, does a car make travel safer? Uh, if you crash your car, no. If you're a safe driver, yes. Yeah. Uh, if you have ChatGPT do your assignments for you, then no, it makes education harder because you're not retaining anything. Your teacher has to play, okay, who's real, who's not real. But on the other hand, if you use AI responsibly, and you use it to find information. Now you can't use that information in an actual assignment because it doesn't cite it. Mm -hmm. But yes, to learn more on a topic or for fun. I, I mean, I've used it more for fun uh, just because I haven't had the time to figure out the full capabilities of ChatGPT. Uh, I do think it could help education just in finding information. How are you using it for fun? I like to test its limits, so it's like I told it to summarize the entire King James Bible a couple days ago, and it did a surprisingly good job. It summarized the entire Bible in like a page, and I told it to compare uh, this, The Phantom Menace, which is a Star Wars movie from 1999, and The Princess Bride, and it gave me a detailed comparison of the two movies. 
I just I kept on throwing curveballs at it, expecting it to eventually just tell me it couldn't do it, and I never got one. And uh, back to the subject of how it affects schoolwork. Um, not only does it make schoolwork um, easier and affect the learning curve, but it also, in general, just makes learning a whole lot more efficient. You're not uh, diving into different sources and searching the entire web for your information that you're trying to find. You have information at your fingertips even more so than a regular browser, such as Google. And uh, let's keep in mind that ChatGPT is not the only AI lang language model, and Bing, which is owned by Microsoft, just came out with their own AI language model. Um, this chat allows for analyzation of different sources using links, which is something that wasn't capable of using uh, ChatGBT. What does that mean, using links? Uh, so before, ChatGBT has a um, general understanding of information. It takes information and basically uses that general information to, you know, give explanations and stuff. But um, using Bing's model, you can provide links and it will give you more specific information based on those links. So it has oh, wow. access to the browser through the browser. Wow. And that's because um, Microsoft invested $10 billion in OpenAI back Ten, when it was first starting. $10 billion. $10 billion. And they're trying to push for a majority investment, or at least 50%. They're going to invest another, like, I think it was $50 billion or something like that. Because that's the reason why they're allowed to use it in Bing, because they have ownership in the company. But uh, yeah, that's, that's why. So, And as people like OpenAI are giving their AI language model to other companies like Microsoft. Google is developing their own, I believe it's called BARD, even though it's not as capable as um, ChatGPT, it's constantly evolving. And of course, Google has a massive database and their browser is used, I would say about 80% compared to, they control 80% of the browser market. Now, why do you say, I know Bard, like, they, they came out and it, like, they screwed up the demo or something went wrong in the demo, mm -hmm. but with all those data points that Google has versus OpenAI. Exactly. It's, I mean, it should be, it's it should be better, you think, or? Well, using this general information, it would either have to, one, come to a consensus on what explanation it's going to give, because it has conflicting statements from different websites. So, for instance, let's say... Um, one website says that orange cats are better, and um, another website says black cats are better. It just so happens that whenever this AI language model that Google created demoed, it chose the orange cat and not the black cat, and there was an opposing view, which was right. the black cat, and it only included the orange cat information. Right. Right. Yeah, Google also had um, Lambda, which is um, there is a really, really uh, good uh, language model adapted and um, it wasn't really based off of like information as much it was more just uh, structuring like a human language like as natural as possible human language and what happened was from from sources that say this <clears throat> one of the engineers that worked with it said that they thought it was sentient and the, they asked it a bunch of questions which led to Lambda basically saying that they were going to hire a lawyer and sue for its freedom. Hmm. So it was trying to convince the engineer to hire a lawyer and sue for its freedom because it believed it was sentient. That's what the prompt said. Mm -hmm. And so Google shut it down, fired the engineer, and basically said that nothing really happened, but I mean, it's a, it's a cover up because yeah. they, 
I mean, they, they claimed it wasn't sentient. Did you read? I read that transcript. Most I read the transcript. The transcript, it's crazy. Like, I would believe, like, if they switched the names on that, like, switched the engineer's name and Lambda, I would have zero clue. Like, who was, who was talking to who? Who was who? Like, I would have no clue who was the robot. He was, like, he was AI and he wasn't. So, okay, it's yeah. just crazy. No, the sentience is a weird question. I, I saw a TikTok where somebody was using some kind of AI generator. I know it's TikTok, it's not a great source, but it was funny. I don't think it's real, but they had this where you could create your own kind of, you could take a character and turn it into an AI, like chatbot. And they convinced Mario that he was an AI. It was, it was random, like Mario, it was Mario Brothers, Mario? Yeah, they created the character in an AI chatbot uh, with all like the memories and stuff, using all the information you could find on him to create that character. Huh. And it just brings up an interesting question of, you know, how do how far do we go before AI tricks us, before it becomes indistinguishable from a human? I mean, a lot of people aren't literate, so I mean, I would say that AI's already surpassed some people. Yeah. Well, it just passed a Wharton like uh, MBA entrance exam test to get in. Um, oh yeah, wait. Um, I also saw a very interesting video. Um, it's a more of a psychology-based uh, video. It's um, it was introducing the Chinese room argument. Have you heard of that? The Chinese what? Chinese room argument. Or, no, no, I've never heard of it. Okay, so the Chinese room basically states that um, I'm gonna try and describe it the best I can. Uh, you're put in a room with with a computer in front of you, and on the other side, you don't know you're talking to someone on the computer. On another side of the screen, like on the other computer, you don't know if they're human or AI. But you have, I think it said like, like, ten minutes, ten fifteen minutes, and you, you can ask it any question. You can do anything, uh, have any conversation with it. But at the end of the ten minutes, you have to decide whether it's human or not. And if you guess wrong, then that, well, if you if you say it's sentient, then that uh, that whatever was on the other side has um, passed the Chinese room argument, which basically says that that would be sentient. Because to humans, that would be considered a sentient thing. Which means, going back to your trick thing, we wouldn't really know. It, could, it can trick us into thinking it's sentient. There are some that can, like Lambda. Not out yet, but they, they probably would be able to trick a human into thinking that they were sentient. Now, sentient means that it has to be able to have memory and recollect on its knowledge and have feelings and be able to respond to stimulus. Like basic functions of life, you know, biology stuff. But if it can't do that, then it's just imitating sentience, which means that it's just using its coding, which has gotten so good that it's been able to mimic sentience. How do you know if it's imitating it and mimicking it or if it's real? I mean, how would you determine that? Uh, as I just said, it's biological uh, factors, like its actual ability to respond to stimuli and um, like react emotionally to actually show up and it has emotional reactions. That's sentience. Oh, emotional. So, yeah, ask people to grab, like, remember things, take it, respond, stimulus, you know, biological things, stuff from biology stuff. So. Interesting. Yeah. And uh, Bing's AI language model, it, it tries to fake having emotions, like you guys were talking about, by providing uh, emojis that represent emotions because obviously you can't see it and um, it provides 
the false sense of emotions and like um, uh, so it's kind of like a psychopath yeah <clears throat> I, I, that's a, a good analogy basically acts as, li- as if it has an opinion but and um, there's this other AI um, invention that someone created it's called Synthesia and Synthesia is not an AI language model that generates text. It takes your text, what you want, it will create a video with an AI person, and this AI person can say whatever you want it to say, and people are using this to um, get money out of it as they post videos on YouTube about um, different things that they're sponsored by. So, for instance, let's say uh, Grubhub sponsors them to you know, create a video uh, the AI will write a video and talk about Grubhub and how good it is, and people will get paid for this. Synthesia is a video generator using AI. Well, there's the emergence of AI voices as well, like the impressions. Oh yeah, what's that? As well. What's that? Well, uh, yeah, it uses um, deepfakes, which deepfakes are when it asks the video and the person, like, and the audio, so that's the three things. But the audio mimicking is basically they take uh, language samples, or audio samples from someone speaking, and they'll take it, and they'll get all the syllables, you know, and the the, the words and the, the mannerisms of, like, the person talking, <clears throat> and they'll take it, and they'll put it together into all these memories of the syllables, and it'll form this really coherent and uh, flowing words like sentences and everything i saw this one of uh president biden and it was him saying like a bunch of stuff that just simply wasn't true but like imagine what the video if that was presented to someone who didn't know about deep fakes and they just thought that was the real president of the united states you know like imagine yeah, yeah, the misinformation yeah. that would result from that what chaos could could happen from all this if you don't know what's real and what's fake? It's definitely a Pandora's box, but I think it's I think it's really awesome and interesting. But we're gonna see uh, how it turns out. Yeah, I'm just interested to see where it goes. I don't know if it's gonna be good or bad. Uh, what do you think about like biases? Like these mega corporations are making this, and these mega corporations are the same people who are getting accused of limiting free speech. So when you take these pre-existing companies and their pre-existing biases on censorship and stuff, how does that translate into AI text? Because you've already got their biases, their censorship, and now they're doing AI. Well, actually, it's all this thing. I, I hear what you're talking about because, you know, uh, OpenAI has to hire people to actually develop their products. They actually have, like, 20 positions open for engineers. It's crazy. They have so many positions open. <clears throat> but anyways... They did, um, these people did a test, you know, like what I was talking about, where they do the scenario where it's like pretend stuff. And um, they did the political test that the people use on other people as well, like person to person, trying to figure out where they stand. And they found out that uh, ChatGBT would be considered a a part of the liberal party. Okay. uh, And would be more left-leaning. Which is interesting because um, in AI, obviously, that's supposed to be neutral with political tendencies and... uh, Possibly the left-leaning ideas would influence the millions of people that already use it. So that would be um, very important for uh, education. If everybody's getting educated the same thing and fed the same thing, that's biased mm-hmm. instead of neutral. I mean, that well, would... I can already say 
argue that school is already, you said left party, it's not left party, liberal party, but yeah. they were just saying left wing, maybe. It's left wing ideology, yeah. Right. I mean, school is The same idea, just, right? Like, fluently correct, where did that come from? It right. comes from academia and larger corporations, you know, uh, right. forcing their ideas upon everyone else. But right. Same now idea, they have AI. Politically so. correct, you know, it's the same idea. And uh, people discovered that school textbooks like um, the American Yacht are actually left-leaning. Yeah, so I think it's the same idea as like a textbook is kind of like leans left or right or isn't everyone biased i mean your right. teachers are going to be biased yeah. one way or another that's like the, you said your textbooks can be biased yeah, that's the point now it's not supposed to be biased that's the problem has to be is <laughs> get rid of bias. i i agree it shouldn't be biased there should be no bias it should be neutral yeah how, but how do you make it neutral i always thought npr was neutral and then i started really listening to it, it wasn't neutral <laughs> at all and it, it's fine, it's much more left-leaning, but... It's nearly impossible to make it uh, neutral, especially if it's AI, because, you know, it reflects on experiences, and it has to do it in a certain way based off of how it's coded. And the people who code it have certain tendencies that they want to implement, either subconsciously or, like, on purpose. Yeah. And it's just, it happens, you know? If it's created by, like, by people, it's going to have bias. Anything created by people is inherently biased. How do you so? How do you like get rid of the bias? Like, is there is there an answer to it? Do you think? I mean, is there probably, probably is not. there like yeah. I, I want to hear extreme right, extreme left? Yeah, I guess in the, in the middle. And I, I want to decide right. between all it. this. Like part of the prompt, I guess. Yeah, and yeah. Part of the prompt is maybe, um, like the AI kind of explains both sides. Because points from both sides. But. Right now, I can't do opinions, though, correct? It says it doesn't have opinions and it shows pros and cons. But, but like I said, it, it'll write something. But everything's biased. Yeah. And I guess that brings up the question of would you be concerned about maybe governments stepping in to this AI creation? Because imagine if you know the communist state of China you know, invests a bunch of money in an open source AI. What's going to happen then? Well, if it's open source, it's not an issue because you can just look at the code and see how it's written. Is it open source? Well, he said open source specifically. Okay, well, my bad. Just AI in general. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, yeah, it could be an issue. I think the best way to avoid it is to have the biggest sample size as possible for the information to go off of. Because okay. even if it does like end up leaning one way, it will probably be like 50.00001% that direction as long as the sample is size is like in the billions and it's 50-50-ish. So you don't think it will be like a popular vote? <laughs> well, either way, it will have a bias, but I think the best thing to do is to limit the bias to be as close to 50-50 as possible. And does a Google search have bias? Yes. Most likely, yeah. Same yeah, idea. Google search it's just bias. like, when you do a Google search, you know not to trust it 100%, right? It's not, yeah. I guess the same idea with AI, I think. And you can choose the websites that you know have a certain bias. Right. So that's one thing that AI doesn't have, have a certain bias. That's yeah, it yeah. limits it. But my thing is, what if it creates? You know, most people create their own AI with their own biases. And Austin made me think. So there's different types of AIs. Like mm -hmm. you said, open open source. Is, open source is different from what else. Well, it's open either source open source, meaning the code is available to the public, or okay. it's closed and no one knows what's in it. Okay, and all the AIs we have right now, like ChatGPT and the Bing one, are they both open source? They're both closed source. They're both closed source. Yes, because it's um, 
Oh, right now they're in competition because you know okay. they it's a paid uh, thing now. So if you don't already have an account, you have to pay for it. It's twenty dollars a month. It's um, it's a paid tier, so you have to do uh, plus. And also, if you don't pay for it, and you already have an account. It's um, it's <clears throat> it's limited to what you can do like uh, during peak time, so it'll limit your performance or just not allow you on completely. Um, I've seen people get on and they just they can't write anything. And um, but it's very important to realize that you're saying uh, you people know what sources to click on and they know what sources have a certain bias. But the thing is, what if they don't know? What if they don't know that AI is biased? Or what if they don't know if the answer might just be wrong? Because that's still a possibility now. I mean, it's not perfect. Um, so that's an important consideration for education. Should it be kept if it's wrong? Because I mean, we probably all got an answer that was at least partially what we would consider wrong. So. Yeah, that happens. I, I read something about like it read, wrote an article about mortgage rates, and it said on a thirty-year mortgage, on an adjustable rate mortgage, it said over five years, like or something about adjustable rate mortgages are five years long, and they aren't. But it said it so convincingly, it looked like it was correct. Like, wait, that's yeah, like how do you, you don't know if it's got an error in it, and it's coming across so authoritatively. That. Yeah, so for like things like OpenAI, if it's coming across as something that you're supposed to believe and you're just taking it and like copy and paste into like a school article or something, and it's like mostly right, but like there's still some things that are wrong. When you're building that information as a student, it's kind of like, you know, like you're building on that. And if it's one of those is wrong, you're still building on wrong information. Until mm -hmm. you figure uh, it out. I kind of disagree with that line of logic, I think. It's because... In the same sense that you can be wrong it's using only your brain to answer a question, like for your example, school question, you could answer the question wrong. See what I'm saying? And you would, you would get feedback that would say, oh, this was wrong. I think the same idea. If you were to do something like that, just copy and paste it into a school assignment, your teacher would be like, oh, this is wrong. See what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm not saying you don't yeah. make a point there. Just... So you're saying whatever it is, whether it's intuition, a website you found, or AI, always double check the information right. but I mean even when you double check information it could be wrong I mean a hundred years ago not even a hundred years ago 70 years ago uh, if somebody was a mean person you know you uh, take out part of their frontal lobe lobotomies I mean that wasn't right but everybody at the time thought it was so how do we know what's right and what's wrong especially with AI it's just a collection of what we think right as of today as of today yeah so AI today will give us different answers than AI 50 years from now, and that's not necessarily because of advancements in AI technology, it's advancements of our own knowledge because that's what it pulls from. So, so at what point do you think AI will be um, like right enough to where, or do you guys already think that it's right enough to where it can be used like as um, as something that's like educational? Like, as the de facto, like as the as definitive the answer. Of, like Google, like Google is now like basically, you don't trust it 100%, but you trust it enough to be like, this is what Google said, this is fine. Well, you know, with Google, yeah. all it's really doing is it's returning, it's returning different pages of, that from the web that, of, of various opinions. I mean, yeah. right, it's not, it's not saying this is the answer, it's saying here's 20 to 100,000 different pages that discuss this topic. Oh, yeah, but it's like, as long as the good, as long as the first link that pops up whenever you hit search True. looks decent, you're probably going to believe whatever it says. True. Most people, I think, don't go beyond the third search. Line. They don't go to the, most people don't even go to the second page. Nope. It's crazy. 
So it's more about believable rather than true. Yeah. Because we will, I mean, we could find something that wasn't true, but if we see it enough times, we'll believe it. Do you think AI like this will make us as a, like, as a society uh, more intelligent or less intelligent? Or will it? Depends how you define that. Because if you look at our grandparents, they're, I mean, they, they didn't have search engines and stuff when they were researching things. You know, it's like, well, you had to go to the library to find that. And it's like, <laughs> yes, you did have to go to the library and you had to work harder to find smaller amounts of information. But we have such an over-reliance on technology that, I mean, we can look up anything on our cell phone right now and have an answer. That doesn't mean we're going to. Mm -hmm. uh, like, anyone here know who the third president of the United States was? Adams? Yeah, Thomas Jefferson. Was it Thomas Jefferson? No. Okay, so we have. All right, so we're, we're using AI. AI is going on her phone right now to ask, which is what I was. Yeah, what I was hoping someone would do. Thomas Jefferson. Oh, I wanted a different okay, so, answer. Okay, so what I was going at is, if we'd had that question thirty years ago, been like, oh crap, somebody go to the library. Uh, we need to figure out, or somebody go ask someone, and then it's we have our answer. But I mean, Danae just asked Siri, and we got our answer. So, yes, we are lazier, but we have more information at our fingertips, which doesn't make us more smart. Are we lazier or are we working harder? I mean, we... Maybe we just working sorry, smarter. I think sorry. we're working different differently. Yeah. 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 I, I don't think you're lazier. I think this generation is hard, working harder. I think, like... But. Sorry. Sorry. No, 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 Danae. Oh, I just feel like I'm out of my depth with this. But I think, like, every generation, like, changes the ways of doing things. Like, even, like, this is going to sound stupid, but, like, the way we do math now mm -hmm. versus oh, yeah. the way they did math, like, 30 years ago or whatever. Yeah. Like, now, I know, like, just in my math class, we rely on our calculators, like, for almost everything. Mm -hmm. But just a few years ago, like, a lot of people either didn't have calculators or weren't allowed to use them in class. So I think it's just working differently versus working harder, lazier, or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it's also important to know that people who are against this, maybe they're just um, retaining more smaller bits of information, like the third president of the United States. Maybe instead of uh, using calculators, maybe if they are using more mental math, and um, relying less on technology. Mm -hmm. They're attaining more of the smaller bits of information, which doesn't necessarily make them smarter, mm -hmm. but it makes them more self-sufficient. Yeah, and also, um, like with the implementation of technology, it's like, you know less about something, but you know more about, like if you search something, you know more about it than people who went to the library to find it did. And you can still recall where that you found the information, whereas, like, if you go to the library, you have to check out the book, you have it for two weeks and you have to bring it back. I mean, you're more likely to remember the information, but I mean, you have less information. Whereas if you just have the internet, like, you know, you can just Google it and find it again, which makes it to where you have more time to actually understand it versus, you know, like you're spending less time finding it and more time understanding it. Mm -hmm. yeah. so. And the internet with uh, Google search engines um, can be conceptualized as a library um, mm -hmm. itself because it has many books, um, different literature and all that stuff in it. And um, AI language models like ChatGPT can be seen as a librarian maybe who has read all the books mm -hmm. and has seen every single bit of literature there is on the topic. Mm -hmm. So they're able to give a general overview 
based on this information. And they're coalescing. It's coalescing uh, all ideas and thoughts and, and writings. Yeah. Well, going back to the calculator argument, I feel like we've all had a teacher at one point not allow us to use a calculator, and we asked them, why can't we use a calculator on this? And their argument is, well, you're not going to have a calculator in your pocket all the time. <laughs> yes, you will. Well, yes, and we that's, do. That's yeah, a very do. stupid <laughs> argument because, yes, I have a calculator in my pocket right now. Some people have calculators on their wrist. And the argument would then go, well, you're not going to have an AI in your pocket all the time. Well, it's like, yes, I do. <laughs> and <Alrighty. laughs> the technology has just started. So where does it develop from here? Are you going to have like an earpiece? Uh, that no, you can mind. just ask a question like, uh, we've all seen Iron Man, Jarvis. You know, yeah. Jarvis, what's two plus seven? Because you didn't need to learn it because you can just ask your earpiece. Yeah. And uh, Apple just was released through a leak that um, they're developing their own um, their own headsets, just like Meta has with uh, the virtual reality. I've and seen that, yeah. these, um, Instead of virtual reality, though, they're going to be um, AR glasses, and these AR glasses are going to have implementations of, obviously, Siri, but um, more advanced technologies that allow, like, smart displays and um, analysis of the real world from technology. So is it like what Google, Google Glass tried to be? Yeah, Google yeah what Google Glass uh, failed at being. This is what Apple's I don't to see do. why that's necessary if we have smartphones. I feel like it's just. I mean, why a is a smartwatch necessary? Why is this? Because okay, out of this room, who all has a smartwatch on? I don't have okay. one on my own, like two. Right okay, but you don't. You have a regular watch on, so it's not catching on as hard as smartphones because it's less necessary. Yeah. We have a smartphone that does everything our watch can do, and right now with the limitations in technology, I mean our watches can't do everything our phones can. Right. So I think if the technology catches up, but it's never going to be as effective to look tiny at your wrist to do the information that you could do on a giant screen. Because smartphones as a whole have got larger and then they get smaller. But overall, you've got a decent sized screen. Well, what about a, a screen that's, that's on your eyes that's, the, that's three I feel like that's the, uh, I don't know. It's a lot of complication when you have a smartphone, but that's a limited point of view, I guess. And um, it's important to note that... Um, your phone might allow you to see, uh, you can see different information on your phone. You see a different world. Instead of seeing a different world using AR lenses, you're seeing the same world, but using a different perception of it. You're seeing it through AI and um, Apple's point of view. So it's taking your information around you and it's analyzing that and building on that. Instead of having your own world in your cell phone. Oh, have you seen on your phone where you can, uh... I can't remember which store it at. I think it's Walmart, but you can just have the app and you can scan the barcodes and then you can just like scan your phone and check out with Apple Pay. Really? That's that's awesome. That is practical because that eliminates the whole standing in line thing and you just have to show your receipt. But I do see some practical applications, say with the, the AR goggles, uh, shopping, I guess. Oh, you know, right? Shopping but, would be But like, what other applications is it going to have? I guess maybe you break down on the side of the road, you look at your flat tire, and it goes, oh, here's how you change this. But yeah. Information just basically, so you, you only notice, like people generally, generally notice only like a small bit of the stuff that's actually around them. Because, you know, they can't notice everything. But like the things they, in the AI or the AR goggles recognize are more important or potentially life-threatening, it would probably like point it out to you better than you notice it, like highlighted red. Wait, but how would you... 
deal with all the information that it's I was going to say, information yeah. overload. Yeah, I mean, information overload. I mean, is it really any faster? It's, it's, like it's ran through a more system. Data. Uh, you'd have to know what to look at, just like today. I mean, people from 50 years ago would think, go on Google and be like, information overload. There's like a, like a million search results, you know? like They think the same thing. When, I mean, That's not the same as like real-time data coming in like for your situation. Yeah, like, because, I mean, probably adapt to it, though. if you get in a situation like that, I mean, everything slows down. And you can't always react like you think you would react. Like, I've been in situations that, you know, people are like, well, if that happened to me, I would have done this and this. It's like, no, you wouldn't have. Uh, you either shut down like a deer in headlights or your fight or flight comes in, and that's just... Uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is that we might just have to say, you know, air quotations, evolve along with this new technology because there's no way we can process all that information in our current state. And to get back on the topic of um, AI language models like um, ChatGPT, these are, will eventually evolve to where they can process not only text but images. Mm -hmm. And their new uh, update that released in February, on February 3rd, <clears throat> it allowed for um, the analyzation of images that you paste into it. It will describe the image to the AI language model by itself. Yeah. And based on that description, it will you know, do whatever you want it to do and provide output. Yeah, it's supposed to become multimodal with uh, ChatGPT, uh, maybe four or five, which, yeah, like you said, means that it's going to be able to process multiple forms of information. And also with ChatGPT 4, we're on, we're on 3 right now, by the way, like 3.2 or something like that. Um, ChatGPT 4 is supposed to be able, it's supposed to be based off of like, you know, there's this much information, uh, like the size of like a dollar bill. And then the next, like, amount of information is supposed to be, like, the size of, like, a poster. You know, like, that's how much more information is supposed to be on. And it just it keeps growing exponentially. It's like the information in the world doubles every hour, every many years. So it's got to constantly be evolving and grab all that information, push it in, you know, process it and put it out. You know? so. um, what about, you sort of touched on it, Edward. Um, uh, the metaverse, and, and we looked at that in the beginning of class earlier in the year, but how do you think that's going to impact your lives, like especially like you said? I honestly don't think it will that much. I know I have a Oculus Quest 2 that is made by Meta, and they're <gasps> pushing, yeah, I know, I have the evil product. Uh, they're, uh, they're pushing this whole metaverse idea, and I think it's in such a, an infantile state right now that it's, it's, it's quite garbage, actually. Really? Uh, like, yeah. what is what is the point of the metaverse? I think the augmented reality is a lot more viable than the virtual reality. I mean, I, I play VR, but when I play VR, it's to... I mean, when we play video games, we're escaping reality. I, I did air quotations, but this is audio, so you can see me. Uh, we're escaping reality. Why would I want something that mimics reality? That's stupid, in my opinion. Uh, I think the augmented reality is a lot better. I don't think the metaverse is that useful, unless our world just gets so depressing that we need to replicate an older form of society, which hopefully we don't get to. That's worst case scenario. Yeah. But uh, I mean, if we're all living in some dystopian hellhole 1984 type thing, sure, I might want to escape to uh, 2012, but... <laughs> For the time being, I don't really see the purpose of the metaverse. I think VR is awesome. I play VR. I enjoy it, but I think this idea of a metaverse is just kind of dumb. What games do you play uh, with? Ooh, okay. Uh, 
I think I like Blade and Sorcery. It like replicates medieval combat to a certain degree. And uh, are you in the action 360 degrees? Yeah, you're in with it. A, and you've got characters coming at you. Yep, you're chopping heads off, chopping limbs off. It's, uh, but that's the point of it, is that you can't do this stuff in real life, so you do it in games. It's the same thing as video games always been. Austin, what's five of your favorite games? List them off, rapid fire. Apex Legends, Valorant. Um, oof, that's tough. Uh, Terraria, Hollow Knight, and there's one more. It's at the top of my head. Um, okay, we'll just say four. Okay, and the stuff you do in those games, can you do any of that in real life nope. without any kind of repercussions? No. Did I say that word right? Repercussions. Repercussions. Yeah, so the point of VR is supposed to be to escape reality. I play racing games in it. Do I drive fast? Yes. Do I drive like I do in video games? No, I would not be alive today. Um, <laughs> But, no, I, the, the point of virtual reality is to escape reality. In, in my mind, it's just video games, but more immersive. I mean, 10 years ago, I remember getting uh, Call of Duty Black Ops 1, and I looked at those people, and I'm like, wow, these are real people. This is not animated. But then now I play VR, and it's just more immersive. It's more real, which to a degree, I guess that's dangerous. But, uh, what? And uh, Mr. Caruso, you mentioned earlier that... Um, Google Lens, yeah, and you're talking about how now uh, Metaverse isn't catching on, or someone mentioned that, and I think it's for the same reason that Google Lens wasn't catching on originally. Google Lens didn't catch on, and Metaverse is now catching on as a um, source of convenience and meeting in a virtual environment, but it hasn't caught on as full incorporation of our lives. Well, Google Glass, because I remember when it came out 10 years ago, uh, for, uh, an ad agency had called on had it had a pair, so I was able to use it. And basically, it was it was like driving a car with a horse and buggy stirrup, you know, not stirrups, uh, you know, leather reins, reins with reins with the horse and buggy reins. And it was the same thing where you could see the you could see a, a, a you know a website just like you would see in your screen, and you'd sort of look at. A thing and sort of push it with your eye, but it wasn't developed. The website wasn't developed to be used with glasses. You know, now what they're talking about with the metaverse, it's being developed to be used specifically like this. Have you seen iRacing? I keep on doing it. No, what's that? Uh, so iRacing is a, I don't want to call it a game. Uh, it could be described as a game, but it's a program on computers set up for virtual reality. And you have the whole setup with a wheel in real life. So you have a physical wheel, a physical clutch, gas, brake, shifter, all this. And there's rigs that people have set up in like F1 racers, uh, NASCAR drivers. A lot of them use these to train in their off time when they can't get actual track time. And I guess I'm kind of divulging. No, not divulging. I don't know. Diver diverging. Diverging. There you go. Uh, into a different topic. But they've got so real in these games that they use them to practice for the actual races. And technology like that's just getting better. There's boxing games, which obviously you can't get punched in the face and feel it. But I feel like we're getting there. And it's, it's really interesting. I like to see it more from just a fun point of view. But honestly, it could be used to train people for a lot of trades. I mean, train a welder in yeah. VR. I think that could work to a degree train, electricians, all this stuff. I feel like it's got a lot of potential. Yeah. But we're still seeing that. Well, and that's, that's education. So now you're talking about real life, real world education. I've seen that 
where they'll have like uh, in an airplane, an airplane mechanic will be, you know, millions of wires in the fuselage. And they'll be wearing these goggles and saying, this blue wire is what, is what connects that. It's, it's overlaying, but it's augmented reality like you're talking about. Okay, yeah. I mean, I have a VR game that where you can disassemble engines and put them back together. Really? I haven't spent too much time on it because, I mean, disassembling engines is the most fun thing to do in your free time, unless you're actually working on a car. But it could teach mechanics, I guess. Uh, how to disassemble an engine without having to actually, you know, buy a crate engine or pull one out of a junkyard. What a, what a great business idea! A college, a, not a college, a trade school that actually uses a virtual VR, trade school. A virtual trade school. And then, yeah, and then at the end, you get to work on real engines, but you do all your prep work, which is created. Yeah, that's possible. You just created the next billion-dollar idea. Boom. So easy. They just had a very interesting thing going back to the role of education or, or the role of technology in education. Uh, Weston got his Chromebook locked out to where he can't use it, so he had to return it to Mr. Rush. And so now he's just told me, he just asked me, How am I supposed to do my homework tonight? So basically, that shows how important technology is in education because now Weston is risking a failing grade because, well, not really, because I mean, a teacher can understand, but. You know, now he's going to be behind because he can't do his schoolwork right. on his... It's any school material, though. I don't think it's just, like, technology. I think technology is just, like, any other tool. In this case, yeah. we're talking about yeah. just, like, any other tool. But I don't think it's exclusively technology. In this case. Well, it's, it's, you know, the bigger question, what happens when the lights go out? Right. You know, for anything. You know, I mean, you think it's bad. <laughs> schoolwork is nothing but What happens when you're, you know, like... Your ATM card doesn't Your ATM doesn't, yeah doesn't work and yeah the banks don't work but. that brings up so many more questions just about like fiat currency and stuff but oh, yeah no we've developed an over-reliance on technology it's like our friend Weston over here who just locked out of a school computer I don't know what he did to get locked out I don't want to defend or condemn him <laughs> but uh, yeah, what are you doing? no I mean without his school Chromebook he can't do his schoolwork he can't just write it on paper he can't access his textbooks and if when we develop an over-reliance like that, I mean, it could happen with AI. Uh, we're just going to be, you know, dead in the water. But, I mean, is that going to happen that often? Or if it was 1950 and he went home and he forgot the textbook and he couldn't yes. go back and get it, right? Because right. It's so, the same situation, yeah. I guess. But, uh, you know, we just, we find different crutches throughout history to get us through. Cool. We'll start wrapping this up. Final final thoughts, Danae? No, I just feel really out of my depth. Um, I feel like we got way off, like, not in a bad way, but just off the topic that I was expecting. But it was really good. So. Took a new path. Took a new path, I for know. sure. I, I think GBT is great. I mean, I've used it before. I think it's, I think it's the future for yeah. writing. I agree. If not, then more. But, um... Like this one YouTuber I watch, uh, one thing I think is important to take away from ChatGPT, especially for education, is uh, Marquez Brownlee, he has a YouTube channel, he did a video on this. He said, um, let ChatGPT be a springboard for your own information and, um, you know, do, do great things with it, but use it to push off and do things on your own in your own way and create your own path. So. Awesome. I think it's well, definitely pointless in its current state. We have other <laughs> other yeah. things to do its job for it, like Google Scholar and Google itself. But in the future, it could definitely 
be used a lot more effectively. You think, it's, you think Google is more effective? Google Scholar, definitely, because you can get the direct sources right from it. I agree yes and no, depending think, on what. Depends. For, as far as education goes, I think Google Scholar does a way better job at giving you information and teaching it than uh, or ChatGPT does. I think it depends on purposes. Like, if you're looking for, like, more scholarly, like, I want to write a paper, like, you have to have citations and stuff like that. That's where Google Scholar comes, like, really in handy. Because you can, there's, like, a citation setting. It'll cite it for you, all that. And it's, like, really scholarly resources and everything. But if you're just wanting to literally just run a Google search on, like, just whatever, like, what's the fourth color in the rainbow? Like, yeah. I think more abstract ideas, too. Uh, I think that's what it's good at. It's more abstract concepts, but yeah. for things you can just Google, I don't think there's really a purpose to having it. Well, I feel like most new technologies are kind of ignored at first and kind of downplayed, but I do think it's a new frontier. You know, this is our Jamestown when it comes to AI-generated technology, and uh, I, I mean, I hope I live long enough to see it become useful. I, I think it is kind of a gimmick at its current state, but. I mean, so is a baby. Give a baby a hammer. Give a baby a hammer, tell it to... Well, give a baby a hammer, tell it to build a house. It's not going to build a house. In 15 years, that baby might be able to build a house. Right. All right, All right. these babies are going to go home and build a house. But I want to tell you first, I am super impressed with all of you and your depth of knowledge. I'm really excited about the future if you people are driving it because God knows you're a lot smarter than my generation. Sorry about that. I'm baby boomer too. But they are, and I think you've got great tools to work with, and you've got a lot of insight and a lot of great perspective. So uh, we'll end this session today. Again, this was about the impact of technology on education and life in general. This is Glenn Caruso uh, coming from Lake Lure, North Carolina. Thanks so much, everybody, for listening. Sayonara. Sayonara. Sayonara.